Hello everybody and welcome to She Talks Tech, where I profile women in technology and STEM careers. My aim is to elevate and amplify their stories and inspire more women to join this field. Through detailed interviews with successful women in technology and STEM, I explore their career paths, challenges, successes, and advice for aspiring professionals. Join me as I celebrate the achievement of women in technology and STEM and discover the diverse and exciting opportunities available in this field. In today's episode, I'm very excited to have the woman who's doing it back in the tech industry. She just keeps going and, and breaking barriers and it's inspiring how she does it. I've told you guys already that I have dedicated the first season to just myself. And if you actually, for some reason, find inspiration in this, then we get to share it together because I think it's beautiful. The women who are coming here are really beautiful and Today's one is even more beautiful with her story. Hello, Fazai. Hi, how are you doing? I am good. I'm good and a little flow-ish, but I'm really <laughs> excited about today. I'm really excited about what we are to talk about and really to look very closely and zoom into your career and your journey. Oh, that's awesome. I'm um, um honored to be here and thank you for reaching out so that you can just talk to me and, and hear my story I, I, I don't <laughs> I was actually listening to your intro and I'm like oh okay I'm, I, I didn't realize people are actually watching what I'm doing because I'm hardly on social media <laughs> what do you mean I mean can't think of many women who actually just like do great and they just command that greatness it's like in them in a way that you don't they don't have to call you you don't need to call us to tell us that hey come see what you do and your work speaks for itself and that's not something that needs you to be on instagram or or twitter or whatever it you just need to be living your life and and i think i'm not the only one i know that for sure there's definitely a whole bunch of people who are looking at you and are inspired on a daily basis oh that's amazing <laughs> actually you know what for me that's that's how i've always wanted it to be mm-hmm. look i'm not where i want to be but i'm definitely on my way there and i am i have definitely made progress in my part in my endeavors right but that's how I've always wanted it to be, where I do not talk too much about what I do as a person, mm-hmm. but my work speaks for itself and people see what I do and they reach out and say, look, we, we see what you're doing. And I think it's, it's amazing. I think it's the most important thing is for me to actually sit and do the work that mm-hmm. I claim to be doing. Yeah. So that's why I really don't talk that much about what I do (laughs) and post so much about what I do like hey here I am I'm in cyber security and this is what I do um here and there I do that I so so I I think that's something that I appreciate when people actually reach out based on what based on the the evidence that they have seen based on my work yeah and as opposed to what I just post and say you know what I mean yeah. if, I, if I'm making sense because I know I don't really I, I I'm only on LinkedIn I'm not on Facebook or Instagram yeah. or anything mm-hmm. so yeah 
it's I really appreciate it. Yeah, we are going to talk about all of it. And I think at the end of this episode, I am not going to be the only one saying this. The people who would have firstly just met you or rather met your voice right now will actually be saying the same thing because I believe it it is going to be inspirational living today. So yeah, <laughs> but before we get to that point of inspiration, I want to start from the, the very beginning, right? Because there was a little girl before everything else that we see today. And mm -hmm. I'm very interested to actually start from that point. Give me a glimpse of like the little Fazai growing up. I believe you grew up in, in Zimbabwe. Yeah, I was born and raised in South yeah. Africa until I was like 18 years and then I moved to South Africa. So yeah, mm. I, yeah, very, very normal childhood. I, I actually come from a from a well-to-do family. We're not rich, but, mm -hmm. you know, like we were okay. My parents provided everything that we needed. I went to good schools, nothing too fancy, but it, it was exactly what, what we needed. And... Yeah, there was there, there really isn't that much to talk about in my childhood. Yeah. Was I always interested in tech? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Actually, I don't know. I know I used to break things and then fix them, but I didn't do it because I loved to do it. I just did it sometimes just to to get attention from my parents or something. I don't know. I just it was just a weird thing. It's like I remember with with the TV or with the, you know, the DSTV decoder and, and, mm -hmm. and also probably like the VCR or something, I would probably like just unplug something because I knew my parents wouldn't know what it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> so they would come and ask me and they'll be like, can you come and fix this? I'll be like, yeah, now they need me, you know? <laughs> and in that moment, I always laugh and I say, you know, with an African parent, the only time you can ask them to get you a glass of water is when you're fixing something technical. Like, I'm very thirsty while I'm fixing this. Can you please bring me a glass of water while I'm fixing your TV? They, <laughs> so, they are at your mercy at that time. <laughs> they are at my mercy because they probably want to watch the news or something. So I need to, yeah. So, but I don't, I don't remember myself being that interested in tech. Yeah. My mom was, she wasn't a tech person. She was, she went in HR. Mm-hmm. But she used a computer a lot. So she bought a computer for the home and then she taught me how to type. So that's how I learned. And she taught me how to use a computer at home. I think it was like a Windows something, you know, the old Windows machines. Yeah, I can't remember what version operating system it was. But she is that one who actually taught me how to use a computer, how to type, because that's what she did in her job every single day. My dad hardly used it. In fact, the most tech my dad used was a calculator. The next thing after that was a cell phone. Anything else, he just didn't want to see it. He was just very not so tech savvy. So I actually learned how to use a computer from my mom. So that that's pretty much my childhood. And then the schools that I went to, very not techy. And I think you would relate because, the, the, you know, we come from the same region. You, you are not using um, tablets or computers as kids these days. I guess like everything is in a book. <laughs> yeah, definitely um, not. Yeah, so 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 that wasn't in in my schooling at all. 
And the most that I actually then did with computers one was when I left high school because I was I'm sort of like a high school dropout kind of thing. And then I went to college. Did you say high school? High school dropout? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wait, so we just found our so an African version of Mark Zuckerberg and, and the likes and like on the drop. <laughs> No. Oh, okay. I'll explain what I mean by dropout. I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'll explain what I mean by dropout. So I yeah. did do my, I did do part of my high school mm-hmm. up to all level, right? Yeah. So, so, so in Zim, I'll, I'll just explain a little bit about um, Zimbabwe, our, our education system in Zim, right? Yeah. You get up to O level, you write your exams, and for you to advance to the next level, you need to pass your ordinary levels, which is like O levels, right? And then when you pass your O levels, you do your A levels. But you've got the option when you finish your O levels not to continue. Mm-hmm. However, you'll be putting yourself at a disadvantage because a lot of universities, when you finish, are looking for a level people have completed completed their a levels mm-hmm. so when i say i'm like i'm i'm sort of like a high school dropout is because i'm one of those who decided at all level like i just don't want to do this whole school thing it's just i just don't want to do it i don't think it's for me so i left high school and mainly it was also because i thought i had failed so i, I had devised a plan like okay if i think i have failed my O level, I need to find something that I like to do. I, I need to find something to do before the results come out so that when the results do come out and I have mm-hmm. failed, my parents will not force me to repeat my O levels. So yeah. that was the plan. That's why I dropped out. Yeah, That was yeah. one of the reasons why I dropped out. So I just went to my dad and I somehow I convinced him that I can go to college without getting before I got my O level results. Yeah. Um, so by the time my Oliver results came out, I was like mid-semester in college already. And wow. my plan worked. And I had passed. I had actually passed quite well. My my O-levels, I had actually passed. I was like, oh, okay, I passed. It's fine. But in this now, I'm in college. I'm doing something else. So, yeah, that's what I mean when I say I'm a college, I'm in high school, high school dropout. Because most of Zimbabwean people do go to their A-levels. They advance to their A-levels. And I'm just one of those who just planned not to. Yeah. Oh, wow, that makes sense to me. And it sounds like you kind of just already knew what you wanted to do at the time. But before we get to that part of already knowing, who are you looking up to at this point? Who's that person that you are role modeling. I think when we're growing up, there's people that we look at with so much fascination and we either want to be like them or want to follow on their path or something. No one. Well, okay. Like I'm, I'm being serious. I, I wasn't at that, at that point, I wasn't looking up to anyone and saying, I want to be like that person. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Uh, like I said, for me at that time, everything I did was to get myself out of a situation I didn't want. <laughs> yeah. So uh, to me, I was just planning like, okay, so how do I how do I get myself out of this situation? And that's exactly what I did. But I wasn't looking up to anyone. There was no one that I, I knew at that time who was doing something that 
I was like, wow, I wish I was this person. I know, at times I wanted to be a lawyer because I, I would see TV shows and various women looking like boss babes. Yeah. Their power suits as lawyers and whatever, and being all powerful and whatever. But there was no specific person at that time that I looked up to. Nah, I'll be lying if I say so. It sounds very, very decisive to me and really like the self-awareness and looking deep inside and knowing exactly what you want to do at a certain point. So do you move from high school to straight up tech? What do you study after high school? Okay, so so actually just to correct you, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just, what I, what I decided to do was because it was getting me out of the situation. So I was like, yes, I'll do that because it's the okay. easiest way out. Path of less resistance. So I'm going to do that. But I went and I started graphic design and new media. That's what I, that's what I went to study um, at um, Zimbabwe Institute of Visual Arts. And that decision came about because my older brother was already in the college already. So I was like, yeah, I think I guess I can do it. You know, he's there. I'll probably just try and get in as well. And I did. And I started that. So, yeah. So I started my career as a graphic designer. Yes. And how how does that look like for you? Do you start design and you're like, this is what I want to do? Give me like the early days of you working. I know you started with with Atwise as your first company. Is this correct? No, I started at I actually started at Cyberplex Africa back in Zim before I. Okay. Oh, there, there are other there are like two other companies before Atwise, yeah. but so okay, so you need to understand something. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the things that happened in my early days, they were by chance. And they were, they were more of me trying to fix a situation or to get out of a situation. So when I, when I was starting my diploma, I, I didn't, I, like, pure, like, just being a graphic designer is not what I wanted to do. I actually wanted to do... 3D animation and visual effects. And my plan was, if I finish college now, after here, I'm going to go to Canada, uh, to Vancouver, and study 3D animation and visual effects. That's what I wanted to do. But then my father was very honest with me and was like, that is too expensive. And it was bloody expensive. And he said, that's too expensive. I might be able to to take you through the first year, but the second year or third year or something, I won't be able to afford it. I don't think I will be. So maybe you might need to do something else here. And then when you've made enough money, you'll take yourself to school. I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. So after that was said, the, how I actually got into how I actually got into graphic design was. I walked in into class one day. My principal called me and he's like, there's a company that is looking for an intern. Are you interested? And I'm thinking, I was like, are they paying? And they're like, yeah, they're paying. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll be interested. I didn't even know what this job was for. I was like, yeah, whatever, I'll, I'll come That's here. That's a motivation so, yeah. for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, I'll go. And then I went for the interview. I showed them my portfolio. Because in college, you build up as you're, as you're studying because everything is very practical. You're building up your portfolio. So I showed them my portfolio. I was like, this is what I've done. And they're like, oh, okay, fine, whatever. You can do it. 
So I, that's how I actually got into graphic design. And I was working as an intern for about three months at Cyberplex Africa, which was one of, at the time, it was Zimbabwe, one of Zimbabwe's largest digital agencies, right? I remember it was Cyberplex Africa, and I think that one was Web, Web Africa or something. I can't remember. But yeah, so Cyberplex Africa was where I actually started my career as a graphic designer. But then I moved to South Africa after that. Yeah, so that's the next story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so then I moved. But when I was still in Cyberplex, I was very interested in, because I was only doing like graphic design. So all I did was like web banners, you know, like the web banners yeah. that you see as adverts. And mm-hmm. so that's almost what I was just doing. And a few websites here and there, but it was just design. There was no development there. Um, I was doing a lot of Flash. Um, a lot of people might not remember Flash. But I was doing like a lot of flash at, back in the day. And that's all I was doing. Yeah. At that time. Yeah. And the move to South Africa then, is it something that you decide or is it because Antwise reached out to you? I mean, Antwise, how, how's that journey like for you? No, I didn't decide. I was very happy. Look, when I was back home, I was living the life because I was living rent free at my parents' house. So I was earning money, like, this is the life. Yeah. And anyone can, can relate to this. You're working. Knowing you what are I like know now, yeah. <laughs> You're staying at your parents' house rent-free. So all your money, it's like for the weekend and groove. And, you know, that was my life. And I was so happy. But for me to move to South Africa, my father is the one who suggested it. He He just figured that, Things were just not going okay in Zim, and he didn't want me to be caught up in whatever it is that was going to come, that was just going to happen in Zim, like economical challenges. He he kind of like could see what was going to be an issue in the future in Zim. So he he suggested that I get out of Zim and I go to, to, to South Africa to look for a job. So he asked me, he's like, would you be interested? I was like, yeah, I guess. And to be honest, for me, it wasn't really like I'm going to look for a job. So it's because my boyfriend was in South Africa who ended up being my husband. But it's because he was in South Africa. I was like, oh, I guess like I've got a free ticket to go to SA now. I guess I might as well do it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's actually how I moved to SA. But it wasn't really like my idea, like, oh, I need to move to SA. No, it wasn't really like that. And then when I moved to SA, I just started looking for a job. Yeah. And then AdWise Design come about the job that you get and you're still working as a designer in that role. What did that role entail for you then? Was it still the same kind of experience that you had with Cyberplex or was there some changes from the graphic design work that you did in Zim to now this company in South Africa? So no, AdWise Design wasn't my first job in South Africa. My first job in South Africa was with Interface Media. Ah, okay. So when I moved to South Africa, within a month, I applied for this. I was just applying for jobs, like really aggressively applying. But I was looking for a job as a graphic designer. And I wasn't getting a job as a graphic designer. But I I then responded to this advert that, that... was looking for a web designer, okay? 
And I looked at the job description. I was like, snap. I only know like what, like a quarter of whatever they're asking for. You know, like they have a list of things in their job description and it's like probably 10. I think I only knew think, think three things out of it, like Photoshop, Illustrated, Flash. Everything else I didn't know because it was a web design job. I had done web design in college, but I, I never paid attention in that class because remember, I never thought I would do anything else other than 3D animation and visual effects. So I had never paid attention in that class to the extent where I thought I might actually do web design but anyway this job description had a lot of like web design stuff they wanted someone who knew html and css and the like and yeah yeah and i was like anyway i'm gonna i'm going to apply it anyway we'll see what they say and then i applied it i went for an interview i showed them my portfolio there was no website in in sight in that portfolio nothing i had like Web, I had web banners, I had like some stuff that I, but like no website, nothing web design related. But somehow I've, I've managed to convince them I can do this job. I was like, yes, I can do whatever you want me to do. I am good at it. So I got the job. And they called me the same day that I was at the interview. And I was like, snap, what have I done? Because I have no clue how to do this. So I, <laughs> I, I had to start within three weeks. So for those three weeks, I lived, breathed, did everything I could. I lived, breathed tutorials online. Oh, this is how you build a website. Oh, this is how you do this. And that's how I got the job. And that's how I got to do web design. Like I've, I told you before, like a lot of things that I have done in my life, it's to fix a situation or to get out of a situation so they always like I, it's always by chance like I need to do this to fix a problem that I have at the moment yeah it is really impressive because you actually went and literally got into a field that you we were not really fully equipped at the time that you were given the role but through the fact that you wanted it you went and learned and thanks to being in the tech space we have a lot of resources that you can learn from so just that kind of like autonomy to to know that i have full control of the situation and i can do something about it is very impressive yeah. for me so your day-to-day -day job how does that look like then as soon as you get the job with interface media yeah yeah i i faked it till i made it hey? <laughs> So there was a lot of like Googling stuff and figuring out things in the, but, but what then ended up happening was, remember I said I did a lot of flash. So that was my thing because remember I, I liked visual effects and animation and whatever. So flash was like my thing at that time. So briefly I ended up being the go-to for any projects that needed flash development. I was really good at writing action script and all that. So that became my thing. And that's how I actually progressed in my in my career at, at Interface Media. So I remember, I think after two years, I got promoted to senior. And then after that, I was pretty much managing the whole department. 
within interface media. I think you actually know interface media. If you remember webmail. Yep, I do. Yeah. So webmail while was under interface media, webmail uh -huh. and easy info. Easy info was like an online directory. Mm-hmm. So those are the two companies that I, I was working for at the time under Interface Media. So yeah. I found a niche because I was really good at Flash. And my designer or my web designer was also good. So that's how I climbed up, up the ladder and I ended up managing within, because I stayed there, I think about six years. But within those six years, I had gotten to a level where I was pretty much managing a department of developers and designers. Yeah. That is really impressive from someone who actually had to um, co convince the, the leaders that I can actually do this or rather the hiring managers that I can do this job and then going to upskill and teach yourself stuff to then managing the team. That says something about you. It says a lot about you and you will. I know you are saying that a lot of things that you've done is really to get yourself out of a situation, but also... I really am inspired by how you do it to get it to get out because it's like at an extreme but also really beautiful level at, uh, again. And then, so I guess you then continue your brand. I think for some time is that of a web designer, but then you make a pivot and then you go work for Creature and that you're was. working as a. So this is after Advice because that, um, I, I imagine that you still did web design with Advice, right? Yeah. So when I looked, when I moved, so when I was at Interface Meet, I got married and and then I fell pregnant with my first child, right? Mm -hmm. Then I had to leave because something sad really happened. You know, it's not something that I really want to talk about because the company still ran, but something yeah. sad really happened and I had to, right? We just didn't see eye to eye about something. Mm -hmm. But so I had to move. So I looked at a lot for a job and and then I found a job at Artwise, um, at Artwise Design. It was Artwise Design at the time before it was Creature because that, that, that was a, it was the same company anyway. Yeah. But I found a job at, at Artwise Design and I had to, so, so remember I'm, I'm coming from being like someone who's senior and managing a, a team, right? Yeah. And yeah. I just had to go back to just being a designer. Now I'm just a designer at, at Artwise. And it so happens that how, the how, owner how, of Atwise. Sorry, before we go there, you're moving from like someone who's managing a whole lot of people to then this role that is just like a designer who's coming back. How does that? How does that feel like to you? Does it affect you in any manner? Is it something that you said and thought about as well? Yeah, no, I knew. Like, I did sit and think about it. I had discussed it with my partner. I was like, I think it's okay because they're offering me some uh, double my salary. Yeah, I was like, look, I don't care about the title. For the sure. Yes. <laughs> we just had a baby. It's expensive, and I really do not mind the just taking a knock on what title, whatever, or whatever responsibilities. It's all right. I'll move up again. I'll rebuild my career again to where I wanted to. Be to be and that was fine yeah so i got the job it, it so happens that the owner of artwise design previously worked for interface media and when she interviewed me she was like i will take you because you stayed at interface media for five six years you've got loyalty in you so i'm taking you so she hired me based on that 
So that's how I got to work with face media. So I worked there as a, like, you know, did, I was just doing like digital design, web banners, newsletters, campaigns, like emailers and whatever. N nothing too special, right? That's what I was doing there. Mm -hmm. And then I got bored. <laughs> yeah. And then I started getting bored. I was like, I know, you know what? I, I, I know how to do this. Like I can do all this stuff in my sleep. I got, I started getting interested in development. Yeah. I just started getting curious and the curiosity stemmed from my frustration of, you know, when design, you know, as a designer, you design your thing. It, it looks amazing. Clients love it in it, when you prototype it and clients love it. It was amazing. And then something happens when you give it to the developer and they develop it and just doesn't look the same. And that was my frustration. It's like, I've designed this amazing thing. I think this is great, but the developers are not doing what I have designed. I don't understand why. Yeah. So that's how I got interested in development because I was like, I think if I design my own stuff and develop it, it will be better because I understand where I'm coming from. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I, I got interested in development. So I went to I went to Erica. Erica was the owner of the company. And I told her, I was like, I'm getting bored. I'm now bored. I don't want to do design anymore. I want to get into development. And she at the time, she thought I was crazy. But she was like, okay, you can do it. It's fine. And the guy who was leading the dev team at, at the time vouched for me. And he said, look, I will take her under my wing if she wants to do this. I, I've seen her greet because there was a time when I had like done a WordPress project and he was like, oh, this is actually quite, quite good. So then he took me under his wing and he taught me quite a lot of stuff. That's how I got into development. He, he taught me PHP. I remember vividly like one day I went to him, I was like, I, I've, I've developed this can you take a look? And it's like, yeah, okay, fine. And then he was like, yeah, this is good. You At least you've put in an effort, but let's delete everything. I was like, let's delete everything. He's like, yes, delete everything because you haven't done it properly. I'm like, snap, I spent two days doing this. What do you mean? And he's like, yeah, I'm going to teach you something. So deleted everything. And he taught me two, two concepts that I will never forget today. He just said, you need to apply dry kiss i'm like what is that it's like don't repeat yourself and keep it simple stupid so in code we do not repeat code whatever we do we do not repeat code because that is sloppy so that from there that's when he started teaching me how to write good clean functional code so from it, it was non-stop from there then i didn't look back to graphic design i, I wasn't doing that anymore but what that helped me was now I understood why developers did things in a certain way. Why sometimes you design something and developers do not really translate it to the way you have designed it. Because it, it, there are things that designers do that are probably not possible to translate into development. And that's how I got to understand that. I wish all the designers all over the world were listening to this because <laughs> we go through a lot as developers. 
there's this well, crazy... that's why collaboration is important yeah 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 i yeah, totally that's agree yeah, yeah. cuz there seem to be this crazy rivalry amongst developers versus designers versus testers and sometimes there's never a point where there's like coming and merging together to figure out how do we actually work together to get to a solution that makes sense for all of us so yeah i, I guess you are at an advantage because you have understanding of both worlds which i imagine has con- it continued to help you when you were still at creature and working as a web developer so like for you understand that you had someone caring and helping you out and holding your hand what did that transition teach you about building products in general yeah like i said it it, it helped me understand mm-hmm. why developers do what they do if anything that's when I started to realize that collaboration between developers and designers is extremely important. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's what helped. That's what I actually learned a lot about, like designing and developing products. That you do not want to design something, and just send it off and expect it to be developed the way you want. Rather, you collaborate with the development team early on in the stage, early on in the stage mm-hmm. and make sure that whatever it is that you're designing is going to it's going to be interpreted it's possible to interpret it in when the developer actually gets it on their desk right yeah i think that's like the most that was like the the major thing that i learned about designing products uh, developing products as well yeah That sounds great. I guess then you still continued in that trajectory for a couple of years and then you moved and became a front-end developer. And in becoming a front-end developer in this case, was the role still similar to what you did with Creature? Yeah, so what happened then was within Creature, we found a niche Mm -hmm. of like UX development, like we found the niche that our team began to do a lot of UX development, right? Mm -hmm. Everything was data-driven. It's like, what do the users want? So that then broke out into another company. That was now not Creature. That was now 1.4. So then I moved to 1.4 and then I became a an application developer because now I wasn't just doing websites, web design or web development, sorry. I was now doing web and application and then mobile applications. So, so I did that for a very long time, but the transition was now because I had been doing a lot of PHP mm-hmm. at Creature. And then when I went to 1.4, I had to shift to JavaScript. Yeah. And that happened literally overnight. Like today I was doing PHP, the next day we're moving to 1.4 and we're doing we're doing JavaScript. So I really had to learn fast because I'd never done JavaScript in my life. I I had I didn't know any JavaScript framework. So I had to learn Angular specifically, Angular and Ionic very, very fast because that's what we were now building our applications on. And we were specialized, we were specializing in financial technology. So 
I did that for a while. I, I, I was like doing that, you know, that path in software engineering for a while as a front end developer. So I was no longer doing the PHP backend thing that I, I had been doing mixed PHP front end and, and backend. Now I was doing like ma mainly out, purely like front end, nothing backend. I think the most that I would touch for backend was just <laughs> wiring up APIs and stuff. But yeah, so I did that until I moved to Australia. That's what I was doing. And in between, I did a lot of other things. I did, I remember I studied agile specialization. So there was a time when I was like a scrum, briefly, I was like mm -hmm. a scrum master, but that didn't really work out because I couldn't double being a software engineer and a scrum. So I had to pick one. Yeah, but that was like pretty much what I did until up until I moved to Australia in terms of jobs. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Australia because I actually wanted to segue to your current role and also your move. So you then move to Australia and you're not just moving, you're also pivoting to mm -hmm. something different. So at this current moment, you are in a cybersecurity space and you've moved. How does the decision to move come about? And also, how does the decision to pivot as well come about for you? Uh, yeah, so the decision to move wasn't really my decision because I was doing quite well Yeah. In, in South Africa. And you and I both worked together at some point when mm -hmm. we were... Because I had a non-profit organization that I had started where I was teaching girls how to code and stuff. So I was really yeah. doing quite well. I was enjoying everything else that I was doing. The decision to move was my partner's decision because he had moved here with, um, to come and work. Okay. So he moved here first and and then I had to follow. Yeah. Right. So when I followed, I was like, okay, might as well, I might as well just go to school anyway. Like, can I follow and then go to school? And he's like, yeah, it's fine. I'll work and then you'll go to school. What do you want to study? And then that's how I got into cybersecurity. I was like, yeah, I think this, 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 this cybersecurity thing, it looks interesting. I think I'll study that. And the main reason I had wanted to study that was because I had always wanted to learn ethical hacking. So that's the reason why I, I had actually started doing that through you and me, but you know what? It was slow pace because, you know, like it's you and me, you can do it today, next week or next month or next year. No one is going to ask you for an about your assignments or anything. So I was yeah. very slow. My progress was really, really slow. So, so that's how I, I got into cybersecurity. So I moved to Australia and then I started studying for a cybersecurity degree. And that's how I got into cybersecurity. So how do how does pivoting look like into a new career? Do you because you you have this well of knowledge and also you've been in the tech industry forever, get to a new company and become a senior? How does that look like? No, I didn't get. <laughs> no, that's not what. Yeah, that's not what happened. So, so what happened was in my second year of studying, there was a scholarship. Yeah, for women in cyber security, uh, that my current company now, my current company, is, we're offering. So I just applied for it. I was like, oh, what the heck? Let me just apply for this. 
anyway, they'll pay for part of, of my school fees because like tuition fees is really expensive. International fees here are very it's it's ridiculously expensive. So even if someone offers to pay like a third or like a quarter of your fees, it's like, yes, please give me the money because like any money will help, right? So I applied for it simply because of that, because they were going to pay part of my fees. And they were also offering an in six they were also offering a six-month internship. And this is like Australia's biggest cybersecurity consultant, so consulting company, right? They are like you you get your big four, you've got your PWC and your EY and whatever, fine. But then you get cyber CX, they are like one of their kind. Large. They are in every state, they are in New Zealand, they are in in the UK, they're in USA. It's a huge company, right? So they're offering this scholarship. I'm like, oh, what the heck? Let me apply. And I got it. And then when I got that, in my mind, I was like, no, I'm only going to be a penetration tester. Penetration tester is your ethical hacker. Okay. So that's what I had always wanted. I was like, yeah, I'll go there. And and, and that's actually what I wanted to, what I want to do. But then when I got there, within the penetration team's testing team, there was this thing called application security, which I had not never been introduced to. And I got to learn about it. And I figured that my previous knowledge in software engineering works so well in application security because I used to build the applications. I know where the bodies are buried. So I can secure the applications based on what I'm learning now. So that's how I got into, into application security. So that was like six months internship. I did my rounds. I got interested in application security. And they were impressed with the job that I was doing. And they hired me as an associate. And they said, are you interested in, in, in an associate position after your internship comes to an end? I was like, mm-hmm. of course. I mean, where, how, in what, on what planet would I say no? <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah, of course. So then I got yeah. an associate position. Yeah, and I got, and yeah, and, and I pretty much worked my behind off to to keep that job because this is like a in my mind, I'm like, this is a large company. Yeah, yeah. But but also, I I just wasn't just doing like application security stuff. I was yeah. also very interested in the ethical hacking aspect of it. So then I started doubling on both. So if I'm not on an application security gig, I'll be on a pen testing gig. Yeah. So then I, I was an associate for about six months and then I became a full consultant after that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I have a, a bit of knowledge when it comes to penetration testing, but I have not really had much of application security what do application security as a developers specialists do? See, I that's that's yeah, how so much I'm actually not <laughs> not exposed. No, 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 that's all right. So I'll just try and give a bit of background. So in cybersecurity, you have offensive and defensive, right? Yeah, yeah. So with your ethical hacking, which is like your penetration testing and and all that, that's pretty much like your offensive. That's your your. I don't want to use red and, and blue team kind of thing, but that's like your offensive. That, this is when you try and attack, okay? You are simulating an attack, right? And then with the blue, with, with the defensive is when you 
put security controls in order to mitigate risks that come with cybersecurity. Like, so with application security, it's the defensive side of it all. We, we embed security controls and we help development teams develop secure applications. So we help with things like CI/CD pipelines. What, the, what does that look like? Where can we embed security controls? How can we automate those security controls? So if within your, 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 your software development lifecycle, at what point are we going to embed a specific security control? What does that look like? Do we fail a build? Do we let the build go through and get a warning? How are the developers actually writing the code in their IDE? Do they have a, a security tool within their IDE that assists them to tell them that what you have just written is not so secure? Maybe this is how you're supposed to write it. So all that we do it because we are trying to, to, to apply what we call shift left um, concept in security, where you apply and embed security controls right at the beginning of your SDLC process, as opposed to it having to be an afterthought in the testing phase, because that builds up what we call, you're familiar with, with technical debt, but there's also yep. security debt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So similar to technical debt, you build up security de debt if you don't catch those potential risks right at the beginning. So that's what application security is. It's trying to embed security controls at the beginning of your application, of your software development lifecycle. Yeah, this is quite interesting. And what has been some of your learning and, and also maybe perhaps thoughts around how companies are building products when it comes to security? Are we actually having companies who are really thinking thoroughly about security? Is it an afterthought for a lot of companies? What do you think we need to do better there? And what are the implications of not thinking security? I know it's a loaded question. No, I, I get what you mean. So I have I have worked with quite a few development companies, right? Um, software engineering companies. And contrary to belief that developers don't care about security at all, it's it's not that. It's just, I think it's a culture thing that comes from process, right? So you and I both are developers. We know if it's not a Jira ticket, we're not going to do it. If it's not a Jira ticket, we are not going to do it. If it's not defined in the definition of ready or definition of done, we're not going to do it. If it's not defined in some kind of a policy or some kind of requirement, we're not going to do it. Because remember, when we develop software, the first phase is requirements, right? So if we do not embed security requirements in that phase and we only have tech requirements, developers are only going to concentrate on the tech requirements they're not going to really worry much about the security requirements. If you do not have those security requirements also, it means when you get to your testing phase, 
no one is going to test for security flaws. They're only going to test for technical or functional flaws, right? So I think it's more of a culture thing where companies need to, before they even get to the technical aspect of it and using all these tools, it's to build that culture within the company to say, we need to prioritize security as much as we prioritize functionality. And what that looks like is having policies in place that need to be followed. So, so the, the onus is really not on the developers. The onus is on every single person who is involved in that journey of building any product. From the BAs to the project managers to any stakeholder that is, that is involved in building a software they need to have that culture shift and understand that security is just as important as function. Yeah. Wow. So I hope someone who actually is in a decision-making role is listening to this and is able to think thoroughly around the fact that somehow security is something that needs to be integrated into our daily work for development teams. I'm about to ask you a very unfair question and I hope you are able to answer it. It's, if if uh, now that you are like uh, full blown in cybersecurity and you've had roles in web development and everything given a chance to choose between the two not necessarily forgetting but like not necessarily considering as well not considering your design work in the past software development or cybersecurity ah <laughs> uh, this is very easy question. <laughs> I think I'll still choose security. Okay. Because, it, I, I, yeah, I think I, I still would choose cybersecurity. I think I'm, and it's probably because I'm still quite new, new to it compared to, to, yeah, because I did software engineering for like over a decade, right? Yeah. So, yeah, and I've, I've been in cybersecurity for like just over three years and stuff, but yeah, I think I'll still choose cybersecurity because I still get to, to deal with the code. So I'm not missing that at all because I still get to see and read code and I'm just not building any products. That's just the difference. Yeah, that's amazing. I think I, I've had few people who are in the cybersecurity space. They seem to mm -hmm. enjoy that space in general. How diverse is the space in your opinion? But from where I stand, not so diverse. <laughs> but then also, yeah, yeah so <laughs> I don't know in other parts of the world, but from where I am, it's not that diverse. And I think there, there are a few components that influence that. I mean, I'm in Australia. Majority of the people here are not people of color. It's, you know, it's white people. Let's, let's just say, call it what it is. The population in here, majority of them are white people, right? So it will just follow. It's a numbers thing. So it will it, it would just follow that it it's dominated by by white people. So you don't see that many black people, that many people of color within the industry. In terms of gender, yeah, not that many women. They're there. Um, a lot, a few that I know, but not compared to like the male population. 
which is something that you know yeah i don't know what to make of it it's 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 a layered issue but, but it's not as diverse as we want as we would want it to be which goes for any in any tech facet so whether in software engineering like the tech industry is just weird like that it's there's just never any diversity it's it's just not that as diverse regardless of which facet it is in tech it's just never that diverse as diverse as we, as we want it to be yeah having been in the industry for over a decade now why do you think we still have this problem to this day and i want to focus on gender diversity in this case where, where, where what are we missing where are we missing it also I don't know if we're missing it. I've been thinking about this is something that I've been grappling with because as you'd remember I did have that NPO where we talked goes to code and, and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's an issue with exposure mm-hmm. where you find that like girls sometimes are not exposed to to anything technical. They don't know how that comes about i have no idea sometimes i've attributed it to maybe because usually boys are interested in very early on in the in their come up they they're interested in things like video games and the like so they're exposed to a little bit of tech they're very curious and stuff i don't know if that's the case but then also and this is going to be quite controversial with some people because i have brought it up sometimes i'm like have we actually considered the fact that maybe just maybe girls and women are just not as interested in tech as much as boys are it's a possibility right and i'll i will swing that to an example like how many men do you know that are interested in careers like nursing like fashion in comparison to the number of women who are interested in those careers right mm-hmm. and so i think sometimes it's it just comes down to the differences between men and women so in my opinion we can advocate for women in tech we need we need numbers we need quotas and whatever but i think it's also important to also just consider the fact that maybe yeah. just maybe those the number of girls that are interested in tech like pure interest with all the exposure like you've exposed them to everything you've shown them how to do everything yeah. you have started exposing them at an early age they are actually just not interested i think that's something that we need to consider and then and and, and when we consider that it will help us focus on those who are actually interested and then we build those up those girls those are the girls that we build up instead yeah. of trying to force the numbers mhm Yeah. yeah. What what do you think is the danger with trying to force the numbers? And I think maybe before we get to that point, I'm interested in your experience generally bringing it to gender again, having navigated your career. Mm-hmm. How have you viewed diversity in the space that you find yourself like gender diversity and how it reflects back to you and what you do 
and 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 then I again later you can answer the question around the dangers around trying to force the numbers trying to get as many girls and 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 everything because we want to balance out the space okay so my experience with yeah you look i'm trying to answer this in the best way possible i have worked with teams that were male dominated yeah has it had any negative impact that I actually saw on me or anyone else? No, it actually worked well with those teams. Mm-hmm. For me personally, there was, you know what, actually, I, I've actually had the one negative experience that I had in the industry. Yeah, It was with a woman. Mm-hmm. And, and not, maybe not one, not, yeah. not one incident. I think a couple of incidences. Yeah, It was with women, not with men. There are things that have happened with men, that, but they're not like negative. I've had like men, men, men's 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 play. What was it called? Men's play. Yeah, thanks to me. But that was like a funny incident. It wasn't like very, but the really like the bad experiences that I've really had, it was actually with women. That's the funny thing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I need so to unpack that actually. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, we, we, that's something. That's a conversation that needs to be had. But yeah. when it comes to the teams that I've worked with, whether yeah. they were so when I, when I worked at, at, at um, Interface Media, it wasn't male dominated at all. There was a very yeah. good balance. Mm-hmm. When I worked at um, at Creature, it was also well balanced. At one point four, the it, it wasn't. There were more guys than than women, but it didn't matter. Like we were just seen as she's a developer, she can do the job. So there was never like within the companies internally, there was never that I was never called a female developer at any point. Yeah. Within the companies that I was working with. Outside, yes, things happened outside and you you just brush them off. Mm-hmm. But the dangers that I saw externally where when you don't have a balanced team when you have like maybe it's like a team of just um of just guys right it's there are certain decisions that they would make on software where they would totally disregard anything that might affect women because there's they they don't have a woman to actually bring it to their attention that Actually, maybe this is not going to be work. This might not work for women because of, right? That's the danger that we face when we do not have diverse teams. Because that representation is so important in that sense, where you want people from different cultures, different genders, different religions to give their input on whatever it is that you're building. Like, I don't think, you know, you'll be like, ah, Maybe this is not going to work for someone who stays in Soweto. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to work for someone who stays in Soweto because I've stayed there. This is not going to work. Or this is not going to work for someone. Maybe the wording that you have here is going to put a Christian off. Yeah. And pr- probably like your target market has got like people from different religions. Or maybe this is not going to work for women because it affects maybe their safety and they don't feel safe and you know there are so many things that go into product development product design 
that a lot of people don't really realize until you have a diverse team that is that is giving input on how it would work and what that user journey is going to look like. So yeah. that's the danger that I see with lack of diversity. Yeah, yeah. You bring a very, a very important point around diversity. But beyond that, before that, you mentioned that maybe we should be focusing on girls who are interested in harnessing their skills. And one of the things that impresses me is the fact that you you are not just talk, you implement. And in your implementing, you're a founder of Diva Initiative. I don't mm-hmm. want to do injustice in explaining what Diva is. Perhaps you could tell us what Diva is about and what the intention is about the Diva Initiative. Yeah, so unfortunately, when I moved here, I had to, yeah, that that had to die down. Yeah, but when when that was still running, we it was a nonprofit organization that focused on exposing and teaching girls from disadvantaged communities how to code. And the reason why I started it is because I no when when you are in this industry, no one asks you for a degree. They ask you for a portfolio. Can you do the job? Yes. Can you can you code? Yes. Can you do the job? Yes. Let's see what you've done. Here's what I've done. Perfect. You've got the job. So that's why I did it for girls who might find themselves in a situation where tertiary education is going to be difficult to get into after they finish high school. So at least they will have a skill that they can fall back on and they can they can look for a job and say, look, I don't have any tertiary education, but I learned how to code. And this is what I have developed. This is what I have done. Look at my portfolio. They'll be able to get a job with that. And then after that, they'll make the hopefully they would make money and take themselves back to school and advance their education. So that's that's the reason why I had started that. So it was with girls between the ages of 8 and 18. And we used to have it every Saturday. We even did the the Lego challenge, the Lego robotics challenge at some point. We did a lot of things. <laughs> I think we even did um, some workshops with Black Girls Code where we were using software like Scratch. Uh, yes, Scratch, we were using yeah. Scratch. Yeah, and and I think the other one was ninety minutes of code. What is what? What was it called? Something minutes of code. I can't remember, but it was also similar to Scratch. Yeah. So that was what the whole NPO was about, and just to give the kids something to do over the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think this is when I got to really know you because for those who don't know, I'm also really involved with Black Girls Code for the the Johannesburg chapter. And we worked with the girls that you teach. And I think also last year, we still continue to work with some of them. And it is very evident that your work, like your work would speak for itself for the first time that we worked with the girls because they just knew what they were doing and they are young. It was very impressive for me to actually see that. And to hear that this is something that was happening 
every weekend. I know that life is very busy, that I would not be in a yeah. position to give that much time like to the cost even though I really care so much it's just really time consuming and you yeah. have mentioned you're a mother and there's other things that you're doing so I'm just really at this point highlighting your selflessness in that level and it's something that is sin and if if anyone has not mentioned to you I just want to take this time and really let you know that you know your work that will not go unnoticed you have changed many lives i know there's gonna be a girl who's who's gonna be sitting in some office somewhere one day and when they are reflecting in their journey and how they find themselves where they find themselves your name will mm -hmm. come up because the foundation that you've laid is just too great it's just too like it's those little things that because we are at a space of maybe privilege at this point, we don't really notice that this is important, but it actually really is. And and I think to a greater to a greater level, you actually were giving off your time every weekend. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> and really, really commendable. And I think on behalf of all those girls who grow up one day, I just want to say thank you for, for doing that. And thank you for your heart in that level, because it's, it's, I can't wrap my head, head around it, man. It's just too good. It's great. Yeah. No, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much. It's, like I said in the beginning, like sometimes you do, you just do what you do and you don't realize that people are actually watching and you're changing lives. I actually have one, one of the girls I keep in touch with, mm -hmm. she has she got, I think, three university offers to study computer science. And she is, but she decided to then study cybersecurity and I think at the moment you can't get a cybersecurity degree in South Africa if I'm not mistaken I, I I can't remember but so she has had to go to a college so she's studying cybersecurity now with, with one of the colleges in South Africa so it, it really does make me proud because you know what I think I taught over over the over the years that I was running the NPO I think I taught over 50 girls yeah that came every single weekend, right? And also the girls that came during the week, every single weekend, were, there, were, there were quite few. But then if I include the workshops and 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 the the competitions that we also got them involved in, they, they will be well over 50, right? Including the collaborations and all that. And to be honest, I feel so proud when just one girl says you know what I, i've taken an, this I've, i'm really interested in this and i have made a decision to get into that career and it's like hey, I, I, I guess i did something right <laughs> at least that's another woman in the industry i don't hold anything against the other girls who have not decided to take that path at least what i know is i exposed them to something that they could have easily chosen to say, actually, I, I'm actually interested in this. I want to do that. There are various reasons why girls would not choose to take that path. But I think for me, the most important thing is they know about it. At any point, they can always go back and say, I've done this. I think I want to go and try it again. Yeah. 
I think at the end of the day, changing just one life in general is, mm-hmm. yeah, it's at least I'm of a very firm belief that one life alone is, is enough. Um, one, mm-hmm. one, one child that you have to change or one, one person that you get to change is, is just enough. And as far as you're concerned, we are talking very big numbers and, um, not everyone, we, we don't, I don't believe that everybody needs to be in tech and I don't believe that everybody has to be in a very uniform career. So, but the knowledge that they've gotten is useful in any space that they will find themselves in. And I think the fact that, in my opinion, there's an element of exposure that is very big, that growing and giving the girls and everyone that you've worked with that kind of knowledge goes a long way because it's like, I know that this is attainable even for me. That even for me element is is really important, I think, in general. Yeah, so I want us to move beyond tech div. I mean, beyond Diva Initiative, right? You're very involved mm-hmm. in making sure that the kind of solutions that we build are very specific to Africa, and you see it with the articles that you write and everything. Yeah, How, why is this important to you? Because Africa is on, has its own problems. Yeah, I'll give you an example. I think in one of the articles I, I referenced um, Pesa which is your mobile money, right? And this, I think that solution was first created to address the issue of sending money to relatives who are in remote areas. Yeah. Right? And and this is the thing. Other parts of the world, especially first world countries, they they might, they they will, they're certain problems that we face in Africa that first world countries will never understand. Yeah. But we know our problems. We know that in certain sectors, let's say in farming, we have this problem. How do we fix it using technology? In mining, we've got this issue. How do we fix it? In education, we've got this issue. How do we fix it using using um, technology? And all these problems that we face in every single sector, every single facet, they are very specific to third world problems. Living, for anyone who doesn't understand what it, it feels like to live in a third world country, it's like an extreme sport in sometimes. Yeah. It's like an extreme sport. You wake up and you just need to like bootstrap and you have to like, now I'm taking on the world. It's yeah. not so, it's not as easy, right? And so those problems need to be fixed first before we build Facebook for Africa or Twitter for Africa. Yeah. Those are not the solutions we want in Africa. Like we can do it. It will probably be fun. And we're like, yeah. Okay, we've got a Facebook that is a, a Facebook-like application that is just dedicated, that, that is like built by Africans and stuff. But to bring value and to give value to to where we come from and, and to help the people that surround us, we need to address the problems that we are facing in Africa. So like... I think in one of the articles I said, African solutions for African problems. Those are the problems we need to identify. What are we facing at the moment? Health, education, farming, 
all those things, how do we fix those problems using technology? That's something that is quite dear to my heart. Yeah, I fully, fully agree with you because, yeah, you can't <laughs> want to, to bring like 3D printing on stuff or, or flying cars or, or self-driving cars when the problems are still very much on a thing. Some places don't have electricity. So, yeah, fully agree with you. And I think we do need to look into this very well. You have a very well-documented career, a very beautiful one at that and a lengthy one at that with like just having having maneuvered over time and like just with this impressive longevity and everything. What has being in tech in general taught you about yourself? That I can swear a lot. That's the first thing. <laughs> that I can swear a lot, but... <laughs> Do you find yourself no, 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 with yeah, the stress I'm, ball every now and then? <laughs> the stress, the stress that, that I go through. <laughs> I don't know how it is. It's like when yeah. you're trying to debug something, it's just not working. And, you know, it just affects your vocabulary sometimes. But <laughs> but uh, on a serious note, it, it has taught me about myself. You, I didn't realize how resilient I am until I got into tech. Like, yeah. Resilience. Yeah, resilience and being relentless because I just don't stop until something is fixed. It's like, I need to figure this out. Why is this not working? I need to make sure it works. So, And it's got nothing to do with patience because I'm quite an impatient person. But because I can't let things go, I, I have to fix it. So it's, I'm relentless and I'm also quite resilient and and that's something that I learned about myself through this career. I wouldn't have known about that if, if it wasn't for this career, actually. Yeah. But having to, like, after you spend eight hours trying to figure out why your code is not working and you figure out it's just a semicolon, it's like, oh, okay, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> and you start, to, you, 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 you know, you get to a point where you start questioning your whole capabilities. Like, am I dumb? Yeah. I think I'm just dumb. I don't think I know how to do anything. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel you. Resilience is like the big part of tech because if you are one to re really just stop when things are not working, then yeah, mm -hmm. you are doomed. You're pretty much doomed. The space will actually test you on a daily basis to see how far you are in your re resilient game, how far you can go as well. So yeah, I admire that about a lot of developers as well. So if we had a blueprint, a viable blueprint to, to survive in tech and to thrive in tech, what would it be? What would it have inside? Oh, I don't have a blueprint. <laughs> uh, this? Someone said this. I can't remember who said this. No one has it figured out. We are all just winging it. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the, the thing is, like, some of us are just very good at making it seem like we've got it figured out. I have, uh, honestly, half the time, I do not have a clue what I'm doing. Yeah. It's the resilience and, the you know, just be, being resilient and being relentless. Yeah, helps you figure things out. So a blueprint of surviving in tech, that's just what I would just say. And try random stuff. Like, that, that's what tech is. Like, try random stuff. Just try it. You think about something, you think about building. I'm like, even if it sounds dumb, like I'm going to build an application that does this, 
build it. So it's because it's not really about the application. It's about you learning the skill and practicing it yeah. and, and applying that mind to say, I've thought of building something, I'm going to build it. Yeah. So I think it's just that like, try random stuff. Just try random stuff. Think about it, try random stuff, build it and just put it aside. Think about something else, build it and put it aside. And well, not put it aside as in like, don't finish it, but finish it and then move on to the next thing and just be resilient about it. Yeah, just keep at it, like keep doing it often, as often as you can keep doing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you have it. Keep building resilience and just do things as often as possible. And this is what Fazai has to say. If you were to pick on Fazai's toolkit and Fazai's blueprint, this is what you would find. Fazai, thank you so much for this chat. I think it's really just been beautiful. Before we, we get to the end of the of this conversation, I've asked you to write a letter to your 10-year-old self, and I'm going to give you a chance to read it. Okay, this is very brief. So to my 10 years to my 10 year old self, it's going to be okay. It's going to get rough. You're probably not going to know what you're doing, but it's still going to work out. And keep trying, keep hammering at it, because no hard work goes unnoticed. But it's going to be okay. That's it. Beautiful. Really, really beautiful. Fazai, thank you so much for this time. I know you're busy. I know you are busy changing the world out there, but you were able to also give us your time and give everybody who's listening this time because I know this is beneficial. And I want to reiterate again, keep doing what you're doing. It's really inspirational. I am inspired and I generally... I'm just humbled by all the work that you do in the office and outside the office. And then you've mentioned that Diva Initiative is currently not running because you've had to move. I want to reiterate again that I saw the girls last year and they are doing really well. (laughs) They are doing really well. Yeah, and also Diva in its in its essence it's not running Mm -hmm. but i know you guys took on the girls as black girls code so they have been doing some workshops with you so thank you so much for that yeah they have it yeah i'm just glad they have a space where they can still do what they were enjoying to do yeah i mean the the partnership that you had were very protective because they actually still wanted the fadai and i was like we cannot be here she's it's big shoes to fill we can't do what fadai was doing so (laughs) you know really really appreciate you thank you so much for this thank you for having me it was awesome yeah thank you for joining me in this episode of she talks tech If you enjoyed our discussion and found it inspiring, I encourage you to follow and share the podcast. By doing so, you will never miss an episode and can help spread the empowering stories of women in technology and STEM. Let's work together to break barriers, shatter stereotypes, and build more inclusive and diverse future. Join the conversation. 
follow and share the She Talks Tech podcast. Thank you so much for your support. I look forward to having you with me in the future.